Welcome to the Pop Culture Palace Presents Podcast, the official show for the Pop Culture Palace website. Every other week on this feed, you'll find an episode from a rotating group of shows. This week, we bring you Pop Culture Palace Presents Episode 16, Our Favorite New Gods. This is the Pop Culture Palace Presents, and I'm your host, Al Sedano. If you listened to last episode, and I hope you did, I had a chat with Mike from Comics in the Golden Age and the Kirby cast about, well, Jack Kirby. Hmm, sort of. For those of you coming in late, there was an issue with the recording and only Mike's part was saved. Not mine. His stuff was too good to just delete though, so I went through it and was able to use some of it last time, with some commentary from me, of course, for context. After the general Kirby talk, we started talking about some of our favorite New Gods characters. Now, I'm not going to be able to give you all of that. Hopefully, we'll be able to do a re-record and do a real episode on that at some point. But for now, I think there's enough good material that it's worth a listen. Hopefully, you'll agree. Um, I gotta go with Granny Goodness. And, um, you know, Granny... I, I think for me, what, why do I like her? She is a perversion of what we all view and a lot of us grew up in pop culture viewing as the most wholesome, sweet, loving image in, in our culture, a grandmother. You know, everyone grows up their grand, and I'm not going to say everyone's grandmother's great, but, you know, in popular culture, there's an image of a grandmother being, you know, so wonderful. They spoil the kids. They give them candy. They're always the favorite in the child's life of all the relatives. So it always amazed me that Kirby took that and decided to use that and pervert it into this monstrous woman who ran an evil orphanage and raised all the kids of Apocalypse to be evil. Some of them into this like elite force, like the female Furies for Darkseid. It, it just, the whole concept of, Granny goodness just blew my mind. It, it, I don't. I'm very curious. I'd love to go back and ask Kirby. How did you even think of this character? It's just so bizarre, but interesting. And and I think that perversion of the wholesome grandmother image is why I've always liked that character. And she, I mean, she even in the Kirby stories, not even later, but she tortures children. She abuses them. She's terrible to that. I mean, Scott Free's origin story in the original issues was about growing up in Granny Goodness's orphanage. And she's just this horrible, but the whole name Granny, he from the very concept, he's subverting our concept of something that he knows most readers are going to be have loving feelings towards. And it, I, I think he she and but at the same time, you know, the whole imagery, it's kind of absurd. It's kind of goofy. But you know. Kirby has a knack for somehow, even a lot of the, she's not the only one in the new guys who has kind of a goofy look, but somehow he manages to make it this horror at the same time. And she's so terrible. And other people have used her. I think she's been a character like 
the Superman animated series used her very well. And they've got friggin' Ed Asner to voice her, which was, yeah, perfect casting. And it showed the potential probably more than any other time she's been used since the original series of that character. So I, I'm always going to have a fondness for Granny Goodness. As terrible as she is, as evil as she is, she's a, I hate to say she's a child abuser, but I still love the concept of the character. So I, yeah, Granny Goodness is definitely in my top five. And the whole idea of, I mean, you could do a lot of, and I hate to say this because this sounds so twisted, but there's a lot of child abduction stories that she could be a part of, which could be disturbing, but very well told, scary stories. She's perfect for that kind of thing. So what's yours? We ended the last episode talking about one of my favorite new gods, the Black Racer. This time, I'm starting with another favorite, Infinity Man. For those who don't know, when the five members of the Forever People are in trouble, and together, they can use their mother box and call upon the Infinity Man. He's kind of a mix of Captain Marvel, the original one, the one that says Shazam, and Captain Planet. What I mean is, like Captain Planet, all five members must be present to call him. But like Captain Marvel, the Forever People switch places with him. Of course, the question now is, where was Infinity Man and where are the Forever People going when they switch places? Is he a Gestalt character made up of the different Forever People merged into one? Or is he a separate person entirely? There's just so much mystery and speculation about the character, it really makes me wonder. I know some stuff has been done with him by others that gets into his background. I believe it was when John Byrne was working on the New Gods in the 90s that he established Infinity Man was actually Darkseid's brother. But I still have to wonder what Kirby had in mind originally for his story. One of the things I always liked about that character was just the visual. It's a really classic Kirby-esque image for the character. He's got elements that are in common with a lot of Earth Kirby creations, but I just really like the look of him. It's And he's always accompanied. He's one of those characters I feel like there's always the Kirby crackle around. He's got that kind of power behind him when you see him. So I do like just the visual of, of the Infinity Man. I was about to ask you because I, I knew he was someone's relative, but I couldn't remember who it was because I've only read about half the issues of that burn series. But yeah, I'm, I'm assuming you're right. That must have been the connection to him, that he was its own entity before it became part of this combined forever people character that they would like. Is the term merge? Did they like merge into him or did they just I don't know how you would describe it. I'm not sure what I said here. But I was apparently right. Yeah, you're right. But yeah, I, your connect, family connection must have been what he was. I couldn't remember, but I think you're right. You know, it's funny. The Forever People is an interesting series because when I, I've gone through sort of three major phases of reading all the fourth world. And the first time I read them, my favorite was um, Mr. Miracle. And it made sense because he was a character I was familiar with through JLI. I, I knew him, and I really love reading about him. And then about 10 years later, I reread them all, and New Gods was my favorite. And both times I read them, The Forever People was my least favorite. And then about six months to a year ago, I can't remember that, I reread them again. And I really love Forever People. And I don't know what it was, because everything that bothered me before about them, I, I kind of felt like they were a little aimless. It was There was a lot of hippie kind of analogies going on there. 
that I didn't, it didn't click with me the first couple of times, but that time I don't, it, part of it is an age thing. I don't know. I was like, basically I'm rounding here, but I was 20, 30, 40. And for some reason, when I was in my forties reading it forever, people clicked. And maybe it was just that I wasn't giving it its due earlier, but at my last reading forever, people ended up being the one I really enjoyed. And it was just for all the kind of goofiness and the hippie stuff. I just rolled with it. I just found it to be fun. And I really loved the Infinity Man cause it was just, I don't know what it was. I just really liked it. it. I can't even articulate in a good way why. I just found it to be fun. For number four, I'm going to go with Forager, who is the humanoid character who lives among bugs under the New Genesis uh, ground. He's, I don't want to say he's a bug necessarily because they kind of hinted that he may not be the same as the race he hangs out with. But the bugs on New Genesis, you know, we have the new gods who live on New Genesis, High Father, Orion, all of them. But on the surface, underground, there's a race of bugs, and one of them is Forager. And we do kind of get hints he may not be one of them. But the interesting thing about Forager is that, you know, he's treated with a lot of prejudice. This is something we see a lot in science fiction and comics, which is you get this race that's an ideal, kind of a perfect race. They're far advanced. They're peaceful. They're idealized. But then eventually you get the dark side of that race. And in that case, to me here, Forager represents that because the people of New Genesis are prejudiced against Forager's bug people particularly Orion, who treats him like a huge jerk the whole time. All the way from basically Kirby's series up to the Cosmic Odyssey series, Orion's just a huge jerk to um, Forager. But you have Forager as kind of this hero among these suppressed people, and he eventually earns his place among the new gods, and they accept him as one of their fellow soldiers against Darkseid. And I've always liked that character because he, he basically like I said, in a lot of fiction, he represents the flaw in the perfect society that we're presented with. I believe I compared the bugs and the new gods of New Genesis to the Alpha Primitives and the Inhumans here. For those who don't know, the Alpha Primitives were a genetically engineered servant, or, well, basically slave race, created to do the menial work for the Inhumans. That's true. Kirby never really developed that concept in the FF and Inhuman comics he had. But here he was able to take it to a, a more specific and directed intent. And he basically is telling us, no matter how perfect and good and pure and noble the society may get, there's always an underside. There's always a darkness in there. And they never quite escape from the ills of prejudice and bigotry. And I have find that fascinating given how much so much of his fourth world is on cosmic themes that forager represented such a basic down-to-earth kind of theme among that oh yeah that's a great artistic style and um the whole red kind of the white tunic over the red thing and he's got the mask with the kind of eye it's a good design and I do always like that you do get the hint. And other people took this later to the kind of develop this. But with Kirby, you got kind of hints that he may not be one of the bug people, that he had, he may be something else. And, uh, and this was picked up later, so I don't want to kind of spoil it for people. But Kirby kind of hinted at that. And that was kind of an interesting mystery with the character that he never really got a chance to wrap up. 
So who is your next one? The next new god that I wanted to talk about was Metron. Metron is from New Genesis, but his passion is information and learning. Everything he does is in service of that goal, even if it means assisting Darkseid. He's like Spock on steroids. Not that he's a villain, he just doesn't care about anything else. Usually. Do you know who he was based on? Spock. Yeah, Kirby based him on Leonard Nimoy's interpretation of Spock. And actually, not to, I should have mentioned this earlier, Granny Goodness was based on Phyllis Diller. Yeah, I actually view him as very similar to the Phantom Stranger. Because he does, he does have that watcher tendency to show up. But he's a little more involved than the Watcher. Like the Watcher, just by being there, is always screwing things up and violating his oath. But the Phantom Stranger will actually kind of engage people and talk a little and kind of manipulate. And Metron seems to be a little more interactive like the Phantom Stranger. But you're right. He he does, at the end of the day, he plays both sides. And he, well, I remember, was it Legends where he was hanging out with Darkseid throughout? Oh, no, you're right. I'm sorry, Stranger. Yeah, he, he kind of gets involved in in things, but he does have a, usually he has an interest that's different than the heroes. His interest is knowledge. He's all about knowledge. He just wants to learn, and he's, but he's not evil, so he does tend to side with the good guys, but you can't necessarily trust him either. Um, he's, he's very, and he's got that really cool chair. <laughs> that's, that's just kind of a cool look. The whole visual of the character is very interesting. I am most likely here comparing Metron to the character of Vril Dox. Dox is the son, sometimes biological, sometimes it's more adopted, of the villain Brainiac. Unlike Brainiac, he's not a villain, but he does everything in such a Machiavellian way. And the great thing about him is how he affects the characters who work with him. Usually there are a lot more straightforward heroic characters and opposed to his methods, but he generally gets results, and those are usually far more effective than what those heroic characters could have hoped to achieve on their own. So they're generally very torn between what he has them do and the good that's going to come from it. Seriously, it's a great character. Go check out either the Legion series, and I'm not talking about Legion of Superheroes, but the series that on the cover is spelled out L period, E period, G period, I period, O period, N period, starting in 1989, or Rebels, from 2009. They're worth checking out. Yeah, they both do have that tendency where they do what's right and they do whatever they need to get it, and they could both horrify all the people around them in achieving that, (laughs) but the people also can't argue that they didn't get what they wanted in the end, that you got to a just result, despite whatever they had to, you know, go through to get to that point. One thing about Metron, too, is he's been used more than all other than like Mr. Miracle and Orion. He's been used more than any of the other New Gods characters, because particularly in crossovers, DC likes to roll him out as kind of the Watcher like character, like you said. And because he was in um, Zero Hour, the X-Men Teen Titans crossover, of course, Final Crisis, the JLA Avengers series by Busiek and Perez. He was had a pretty significant role in that as well. He's a he's a good character for DC to roll out when they need that watcher esque guy who's kind of going to give the heroes guidance and kind of direct things and manipulate things, but at the same time, 
not be uh, too active in the story, kind of give you a certain kind of ominous vibe at the same time. Yeah, he's definitely a little more subtle than The Watcher. <laughs> yeah, The Watcher is not... Uh, you could literally list out probably at least 100 times The Watcher has interfered when he should not have been. Um, but Metron is a little more... Um, subtle in how he does it and obviously he's not violating an oath and god this makes me want to go back i know the first time i encountered metron because one of the first dc comics ever bought was justice league international and he showed up in the um yeah he did and i know that's where i had to first encountered him but oh i need to go back and read that because it's been so long yeah i know the metron thing i think it was part of the whole maxwell lord you know whether he was going to be good or evil at the time he was part of that because he gave Maxwell Lord like a mother boxer. I don't know. God, I need to go back and read. But and gosh, that probably means that Metron may have been the first new god, fourth world character I probably ever read in a comic as a kid. And I wasn't I didn't realize that until just now. But yeah, that had to make Metron the first fourth world character I, I ever read in a story. Hey, Mike. Hey, Chris. What's up? I just got back from the comic store. What'd you get? Uh, some really good books. They had the latest issues of Saga and Batman, and I got the latest collection of Walking Dead. That's cool. I just got some in the mail, too. I got the latest collections of Adventures into the Unknown, The Spirit, and Young Romance. I've never heard of any of those. Oh, they're all from the Golden Age. The Golden Age? You've heard of the Golden Age of comics, right? Well, of course, but I've just never read that much from it. Oh, you're missing out. There's some great material here. And nowadays, they're really reprinting a lot of it. I tried it once or twice, but I never got into it. Oh, you should really try again, man. There are some amazing writers working in that era. Bill Finger, Gardner Fox, Joe Simon, and some of the best artists to ever work in the industry. Jack Kirby, Will Eisner, Joe Kubert. And it wasn't just about the superheroes then. They produced science fiction books, crime, romance, humor, all sorts of genres. Wow, you really love that stuff. You should do a podcast about it. No, you're right. I should do a podcast, and you should do it with me. We can call it Comics in the Golden Age. And we could create a website for it, comicsinthegoldenage.com. And we could also publish episodes on iTunes and Stitcher and make a fan page to follow over on Facebook. Heck, we could even talk about the golden age of the modern age, also known as 90s Image Comics. No. No, Chris. No. So join us for the Comics in the Golden Age podcast, available through iTunes and Stitcher, and visit us on Facebook or at comicsinthegoldenage.com. Each episode after we post it also gets put up on social media, in the hopes to get some attention to it. And every episode, there are some people who are nice enough to not just like, but also share the episodes on their own social media feeds, and we really appreciate them doing that. So thank you to the following people for liking and sharing our last episode, which was episode 15, on Facebook. Justin Lesniak, Michael Lane, Pat Sampson, Jerry Green, and Jesse Starcher. On Twitter, the following people liked and retweeted the post about episode 15. Jose Manuel Uria, Jack Kirby Museum, Danny Nicholas, Vinyl Turbin, Lenroy LaRock, RJ Clark, Justin the Buck, Three people like this. EMZT Podcasts and Productions. Christian and Damon's Amazing Nerd Show. Gonzo Media. 
Comics in the Golden Age, The Kirby Cast, Shamita, Aaron M. Johnson, Rob Lamberti, Max Craven, James Murphy, Kenny, Chris Smith, Franklin Boyd, Keyjack's Heart, Helium Radio Network, Melting Core at Apocalypse, 23rd May, Robert Ackerman, Chris Creamer, Jeff Hurst, Reverend Two Fake Doctorates, Phil, Jason Scott, Cat 12 Ghost, Four Guys and a Comic, Jason Snake Venable, Dan O, Art by Athena, Ariel Celestino, Starman 76, Judy for SC, Long Box Review, Tuck, Corey Strode, and Greg Jolly. Don't forget to check out our homepage, thepopculturepalace.com. You can, of course, follow us on Twitter at the PC Palace or on Facebook. Just type Pop Culture Palace in the search box. And if you'd like to hear more from me, you can give my other show a try Resurrections, an Adam Warlock and Thanos podcast. You can find it pretty much everywhere you found this show or at resurrectionsadamwarlock.tumblr.com. And finally, you can send us an email at thepalaceofpopculture at gmail.com. Let us know who your favorite new gods are, or just your thoughts on Kirby in general. That's all for this time. I hope you enjoyed this little experiment. I hope it didn't suck. And I really hope my future recordings come out alright so I don't have to ever do this again. (laughs) Don't forget to check out Mike's shows, The Kirby Cast, and Comics in the Golden Age. Links will be in the show notes for them. See you next time. Music for this podcast was Going Higher, provided by royalty-free music from bensound.com. to admit being the nerdy completist i am i usually do do go back in the cheap bins and fill in whatever i gave up on just to have all the issues <laughs> so when it comes to like fantastic four or superman even if i gave up for a run i do usually go back later and you know and try to get them out of dollar bins just because i like having all the issues